This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you for tuning in. If you are a resident of these United States, you may be familiar with something we call the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, they're, they're still a big deal. It's a crazy operation when you think about it. And just for a quick statistic, every single day they process and deliver 187 8 million pieces of just first-class mail every 24 hours. Hi, I'm Ben Bullen. Hey, I'm Noel Brown. And I'll tell you, I didn't realize until we dug into this subject uh, that the U.S. Postal Service wasn't even established officially until the 70s. That's correct. It's insane to me. I figured it was just something that was around since time immemorial. You hear about Benjamin Franklin being, uh, you know, the first official postmaster general, um, but that they did not have a government body. It was more of like an ad hoc kind of situation. Yeah, it was a Department, the post office department, not the postal service, right? That's right. So we also would be remiss if we didn't send a, an audible shout out in the, I guess, the ear mail to our super producer, Casey Pegram. And speaking of, you know, I like that you bring up the surprising recent origin of this uh, this modern postal service because I, I was thinking about this off air. Is it easier or more difficult to run a postal service today? Because 
we know that there's this amazing technology, right? We have GPS, we have tracking systems galore, uh, but we also have many, many more people, millions more addresses. Still, I think it's easier to run a postal service or a package service now than it was back in the day. Uh, that is our topic for this episode, the weird, weird, weird history of shipping, just in general. You know who I would ship? Uh, Casey Pegram and Pikachu. And that's a, that's a fandom reference. It, it, it is. That's not what we're talking about today, though. This is a different kind of shipping. Oh, you like shipping and receiving. Got it. Casey uh, seems to approve of my, my shipping choice. I do, yes. Casey on the case. Casey on the case. So let's, let's think about it. Like, what's the weirdest thing you guys have ever mailed? Or received in the mail. You know, I once received a uh, a single floor tom drum, like a di- like a like f- from a Yamaha drum kit, like just the tom. And then I ended up meeting the guy who I bought it from on eBay completely randomly. I was in the market for a single drum, found one to my liking, and then it ended up with a guy from Athens, uh, where I eventually moved, and um, his name is Tigger. The drum or the guy? The guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. What'd you name the drum? Yamaha. Sorry, you got a name kept tag with on a it. factory name. Exactly. Yeah. Because some people name their instruments. That's a real thing. Yeah. I wonder if you have a drum kit and you're a drummer. Do you name each individual drum or do you give the whole kit a single name? Casey, you're a drummer. What do you think? I think it's more of a kit thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Than individual drums. Maybe if you have like a, I don't know, special symbol or something, maybe give it a name. But yeah, yeah. Like old Zilgi or something. Yeah. So the, uh, response to the question you did ask, I, I have a weird shipping story. It's very short. Uh, it won't take too long. So I used to live out in the hinterlands, a very small area in Central America, and I had to get some medication shipped. Medication itself is not unusual. It's, you know, it's sent through the post all the time. But I was so far away from the U.S. and so far away from regular shipping routes that this had to come, let's see, picked up at a pharmacy, put in international mail, carried by a private carrier once it got in country. And then the last two stops, uh, it went on the back of a pickup truck. There was a guy in the back of a pickup truck. It went about 10 miles that way. And then it was handed off to a courier on a dirt bike. And there wasn't really an address. So I had to go stand in front of this building, which is in like the main drag of town, and just wait till (laughs) I see the right looking guy on the dirt bike. I am the only one, by the way, in this scenario who is who looks like I do. So I'm I'm pretty recognizable. So but did you flag him down or he just he just made a beeline right for you? He recognized. He recognized he he saw it from a distance. And I was so weird because I could see through the stamps and the markings how many different kind of systems this had gone through. And that's that's what I am still baffled by, you know, when when you have something very delicate, for instance, like a, a drum shipped through the mail, or where you have something even normal shipped through, you know, to the ends of the earth. How can we do that? It's impressive as a species. It's really funny, Ben. The the the, the situation that you just described is not too far removed for what became the order of the day for shipping. Uh, it would be this kind of like going around your ass to get to your elbow situation where uh, steamships would go down to Panama and then they would, you know, transfer the deliveries to horses who would then make a journey over the 
very, very treacherous isthmus of Panama and then picked up again by new ships and taken up the Pacific coast. Um, and that, 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 that was how it was done until 1858 when overland delivery right. became much more of a thing uh, and a bidding war ensued. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I really like your story. It really sets the tone for this, uh, this topic. No, thanks, man. I mean, yours as well. The more things change, right, the, the more they stay the same. History doesn't repeat, but it tends to rhyme. It's true. I like that you brought up the phrase ad hoc at the top of the show because before the 1800s, what we would call a package, a courier delivery service, was pretty unorganized. There wasn't a huge central authority. You would say, okay, I need to send uh, Duke Casey Pegram a um, – uh, not a balustrade. That's too big. A lute. For some reason, you're saying a lute. L-U-T-E. I'm sorry. What is a balustrade, Ben? I've always wondered that. It was in an Amy Mann song, and I never knew what it was. Is it like a banister? It's a, It's a kind of. It's a railing, and it's kind of an ornamental thing. Like if you ever drive by an apartment building and you see maybe a nice one with like a stone railing around one of the balconies, that is a balustrade, that railing. And the things, the little stems— those are balusters. Is that right? That is true. Those would be hard to ship, though. Those would be hard to ship. Shipping a balustrade at that time seems weird. So we send them a loot instead, L-U-T-E. I would ship a balustrade with Casey Pegram. <laughs> I'm, like, in the package? No, you, you guys are just having a relationship together. Oh, I see. I'm getting I'm shipped, shipping in, you guys. I'm shipped yeah, in the other yeah, sense. Yeah, with an inanimate object, yeah. That, people do that. Fine. I think so. Casey on the case. It is almost 2020 after all, lest people be judgmental. But back to uh, before the mid-1800s, I would need to find a courier, a physical person or a crew, and I would say, get this loot to the Duke. And then the courier would say, okay, we're going to go to the closest village near, you know, the Duke's, uh, the Duke's palace or his fortress or whatever. And then... Instead of taking it to a specific address, the courier would probably just drop it off in whatever the common area of town was. And mind you, zero protection for you as the sender to the recipient or to the you know guaranteed safety of the goods being transported or the you know the message or whatever. This was this was an advance of the idea of shipping larger things, which yeah. uh, will come to fruition uh, as a thing called parcel post. But that comes a little right, later as right. well. Yeah, and it's a it's a huge trust fall, right? Because the courier could literally disappear. You would never see your loot uh, again, and your loot would become the courier's loot, L-O-O-T. And how funny is it that we've kind of come full circle to that now, where we put all of our trust in this uh, ride share and just kind of like sharing economy where we don't really need guarantees so much as long as they, you know, had the – past the test to get on the app, then we sort of trust them or we just aren't really that concerned. It's just kind of interesting. It's a little bit of a full <laughs> yeah. circle. You got stuff like TaskRabbit where people pick up stuff and do it for you or Zifty or, you know, whatever, all of those uh, absurdly named uh, services. But it's true, Ben, that is the very definition of ad hoc. You would hire these individuals. You might get your stuff. You might not. And it became, you know, there was a, a gap that needed to be filled. And that specifically happened during the California 
California gold rush in the 1860s when a lot of folks were settling, going west, young young men and, and women, um, and they really wanted to, you know, that, it, it was a, t- a time of technological boom, the idea of the telegraph and, you know, being able to get things much more quickly and by much more quickly we're talking about, you know, weeks as opposed to months, right? Yeah, but that still looks great in comparison. It does. And uh, and you're right. There's this, there's this, what Malcolm Gladwell would call a tipping point in the 1860s, and it coincides with the California gold rush. Part of it goes back to the geographical fact that the United States is huge. It's massive. It's very, very wide. Exactly. And those ad hoc uh, methods of shipping and receiving might have worked in a more regional setup where you didn't have to travel as far. But once you start going from sea to shining sea, that becomes completely um, just untenable. Um, and and by the way, we're getting a lot of this chronology um, from a wonderful article from Atlas Obscura called From Pony Express to Amazon Drone, The Strange History of Delivering Packages by Dan Nosowitz. That's right. And in this shipping fray, in this gap, this area of opportunity, we see two incredible players emerge. One is called the Pony Express. The other is called Wells Fargo. And the Pony Express had a real missed opportunity by not adopting the tagline, let those ponies run. That that's the Scott Benjamin quote. That is right? the Scott Benjamin quote is of it, a let, lifetime. Let those ponies run or ride? I think he said run. I think it's run. Okay. Let him loose. Mm. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car's called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm -hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your team enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Sometimes to get what you want, you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. We're nothing if not trailblazers here at Ridiculous History. And you know also is a huge uh, iconoclastic challenger of the status quo, Ben? Who is that, Noel? Well, I think you know. Hmm. It's Harry's. Yes, it's Harry's. They saw customers getting ripped off by all kinds of like slipshod, questionable products in the shaving industry. And they said, hey, you got to be the change. I was excited to try out the Winston set. It's an all-in-one package. You get some shaving cream. You get that great razor we're talking about. They also have deodorant. Yeah, I was about to say. Very helpful. I do really enjoy uh, their line of self-care products. Um, Richly lathering, skin-softening body washes and scents like redwood, wildlands, and stone. 
You want to know what a stone smells like? I've often wondered. Only you know you can. <laughs> so don't settle for the status quo, folks. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash history. Once again, that's harrys.com slash history for a $3 trial set. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's this. There's always a catch. So when we heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, what's the catch? So we dug in, and after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't a catch. Can you believe that? Mint Mobile's got a secret sauce, babies, and it is that they sell wireless service online and by doing so, cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet, sweet, delicious savings directly onto you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So the Pony Express is what it sounds like. They were uh, letter-transporting cavalry. They would jump on these horses, and they would deliver mail and newspapers and important messages through a system, like a relay race of different mounted riders. So, of course, you would say, well, it's ridiculous that I would write a letter in New York and then hand it to some guy on a horse and he would ride across the country, he wouldn't. He would ride a certain distance, he would link up with someone else, and they would ride along. Yeah, and what would have taken 25 days by stagecoach um, or perhaps uh, many, many months on a, on a sea voyage, um, the Pony Express could get it done in about 10 days from East Coast to West Coast. Mm-hmm. And they operated, between, uh, they operated between Missouri and California but they didn't operate that long. It might surprise some people because the Pony Express, after it went the way of the dodo due to the telegraph, the Pony Express was very romanticized in the American zeitgeist, but it was only in operation from April 3rd, 1860 to October of 1861, so just a little more than a year. But in those 18 months of operation, the Pony Express changed history, it changed shipping, and it remains an impressive endeavor today, wouldn't you say? I absolutely would say um, one thing that I didn't know about in that time that it uh, operated, that very limited time, it uh, did not turn a profit. And in fact, there was a war between the United States and the Paiute Indians called the Pyramid Lake War that caused a temporary shutdown of the company and cost them $75,000, a princely sum at the time. And after that, they when they you know started, all the damage had been done, um, and they never received a government contract, which, as we know, can be very, very important for something that requires so much overhead and infrastructure. And it is estimated, um, according to some sources, including History.com article entitled... 10 Things You May Not Know About the Pony Express by Evan Andrews, that over the course of that very brief history of the company, it may have lost um, around $200,000. 
Uh, and, and just a couple of little quick facts from that article as well. Uh, I thought this was interesting. Uh, the riders, you think of Pony Express riders as being like grizzled kind of cowboy types, but they actually were very slight fellows weighing between 100 and 125 pounds, much more like a jockey. And that's because of weight restrictions. They wanted to keep them uh, as light as possible so they could like increase productivity in terms of like, you know, quick, quicker turnaround times. And this is my favorite one is they received a salary of between $100 and $150 a month, which was a big deal at the time, and they were asked to submit themselves to reading this loyalty oath, which says, I hereby swear before the great and living God that during my engagement and while an employee of Russell, Majors, and Waddell, which is the the, the – the partners in the uh, endeavor. This was a private company. Exactly. I will under no circumstances use profane language, that I will drink no intoxicating liquors, that I will not quarrel or fight with any other employee of the firm, and that in every respect I will conduct myself honestly, be faithful to my duties, and so direct all my acts as to win the confidence of my employers. So help me God. I want to add to that excerpt with a fascinating classified advertisement. This is an alleged advertisement. Wanted. Young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to risk death daily. Orphans preferred. No. Yes. Orphans preferred? <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, because that's enticing when you think about the age oh, yeah. that they're trying to get to. Uh-huh. They're like, I'm going to live dangerously. No, and it's like, you know, you better not have anybody that's going to miss you because <laughs> you might get an arrow through the throat or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's any number of ways you could have died on those treacherous journeys because the West, you know, the areas between that frontier – very treacherous in terms of terrain, in terms of potential, you know, ways of just falling to your death. There's any number of ways you could die. That's right. If Oregon Trail taught me anything, it's that anytime you travel with a group of six or more people in that time, one of you is going to get dysentery, one of you is going to break a leg, and, uh, you know, you might lose some ox, oxen. But not break a leg in like a doing well in a, you know, high school musical kind no, of No, no, like a compound fracture. Yeah, with you a guys, bone sticking out and stuff. Ugh. You guys remember Oregon Trail? Did you play it? Were you fans? Oh, yeah. Totally. Remember uh, fording the river, mm-hmm. dying of dysentery, oh, all yeah. that good stuff. Yeah. I actually have a card game version of it that uh, came out pretty recently. That's quite a lot of fun. I recommend it if you, if you, uh, if you haven't seen that. Did they out. update the diseases? No. No, it's it's, it's literally just a card game version of Oregon Trail. It has a neat mechanic to the way you play it. I I really – it's a lot of fun. That's cool. I'd like to check it out. Yeah, yeah. We should have a uh, – bring it to the next office game night. Sounds like a plan. If you want to participate in the Pony Express, there's kind of a way you can do it today. You can follow their footsteps or should I say hoof prints uh, by visiting the Pony Express National Historic Trail. It goes through a ton of different land jurisdictions. It has several sites that are open to public visitation. There are a couple places where they've got automobile access. It's, It's a piece of living history and it's worth it. And It is indeed history. The Pony Express is no more because in – while it was only in operation for that 18-month period, in 1866, uh, the owner of the time sold the assets for Pony Express to an outfit named Wells Fargo. And they sold it for $1.5 million in 1866. Jeez Louise. I know, that's a ton, right? And Wells Fargo, you might be saying, or you probably said earlier in the episode, you said, Wells Fargo, 
Uh, holy moly, Stars and Garters, isn't that a bank? Well, yeah, now. Yeah, but you may have seen their iconic logo, which is a, a horse-drawn stagecoach um, with the, what do you call it, a captain, pilot, Rainsman? Who, what do you call a driver? Driver. It's just a driver. Boom. There you go. The Doolittle, the, the one who speaks to the horses? 100% that guy. And that is because while the Pony Express largely was known for delivering letters, Wells Fargo uh, kind of had the market cornered on delivering larger things, packages. Coachman. I bet you it's a coachman. It's a coachman. I think you can do driver as well, but coachman so. is much more uh, appropriate. I love that. And before they made their real money uh, in banking, Wells Fargo was absolutely the end-all, be-all of package delivery, uh, as you can tell by this uh, very, very absurdly catchy little ditty, I warn you in advance, from the 1962 film version of the 1957 Broadway musical The Music Man by Meredith Wilson. Have a listen. Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. Oh, please let it be for me. Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. I wish, I wish I knew what it could be. I got a box of maple sugar on my birthday. In March, I got a great mac and And once I got some grapefruit from Tampa. Montgomery Ward sent me a bathtub and a cross-cut saw. A bathtub and a crosscut saw. Uh, they were they were shipping all kinds of stuff. That's right, and it was literally all kinds of stuff because the folks who teamed up there on the East Coast in New York to create Wells Fargo wanted to dominate shipping across the contiguous United States and beyond. They wanted a monopoly, and there were a bunch of East Coast shipping concerns at the time. But Wells Fargo is different. It was the creation or the uh, the result of a supergroup team-up between three different people, Henry Wells, William G. Fargo, those are the names we know, and then another one you may not have heard of, a guy named John Butterfield. On their own, these dudes each had a shipping company. But uh, they, when they joined forces in 1850, they created something. It, it, this is a trick question. What do you think they created? Wait, so not Wells Fargo. Right, that's oh, correct. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking some other legacy brand. Let's see. They called, they called the package shipping industry at the time the express industry. Wait a minute. And these activities were taking place in America. Let's see. I like, I like where we're going with this. United Express. Uh, uh, American Eagle. State Express. Package Postal Eagle America. Un-Canada Mail in a Hurry. Okay. I like all of those. And those did not make it out of the uh, pitch meeting that ultimately settled on, um, you guessed it, maybe, uh, American Express. Yes. I hope we, I hope we left enough breadcrumbs there. And, and this is probably obvious to everyone, but I think it's so interesting how the biggest banks and credit card companies always got their start, like, in the gold rush and, like, you know, occupying some niche and then just kind of, like, ballooning from there. And now we have our, you know, our Wells Fargo's and our, you know— big banks of the world. Which are giant, right? This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber Teen. 
Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. This is important stuff. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you can follow their entire ride on that live tracking map. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. I watch every step of the way uh, from the moment the car is called to when they get in and then I can track their progress to and from their destination. It makes them feel safe and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And here's how it works. When your team requests a trip, they are matched with highly rated experienced drivers and you receive those real-time notifications as well as enhanced safety features. That's right. Pin verification, in fact, to ensure that your teen enters the right vehicle. Live trip tracking for parents. Plus, you, the parent, can contact the driver directly from the app. And don't delay. Today, you can get 40% off the That's up to $15 off three Uber Teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you. Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising, one with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So these guys join forces in 1850. They make American Express. Fast forward two years. American Express is primarily an East Coast operation, but they want to they want to get in on the growing West Coast market, or at least some members of American Express do. You see, Henry Wells and William Fargo are gassed about it. They're super excited. But the board of American Express is, is like, well, why don't, why don't we got to do this California thing? We, we got a pretty nice operation here on the East Coast. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, Fargo. Mm-hmm. And they said, Wells, no, they didn't say that. They, they started their own company. They kind of, uh, they took what they learned from the American Express operation and they just moved it to the West Coast and they changed the name. Yeah, and and again, early on, they their biggest 
service was uh, delivery of, of valuable goods, um, you know, jewels and gold, and then eventually kind of more you know, home goods that that uh, mm-hmm. that folks that actually had a little money to spend from like catalog shipment shipments and stuff like that could could yeah. get um, loots, balustrades, all of that stuff. Yeah, um, and. They were very clever in their marketing and uh, did a good job of endearing themselves to the news media by including free newspapers along with any packages that you would ship through their uh, their service. And this is great because everybody enjoys being plugged in, getting the latest news. And we have to remember this is before television. This is a time and an age where information is a little tougher to come by. So – Getting a free newspaper is a great value add. Things get a little weird when the company starts directly delivering gold as well, right? That's where it becomes a little bit more than a postage service. It's true. And that, you know, we're, we'll find out. And as we as we know, based on what we know Wells Fargo as today, that became much more of their bread and butter. But because they were handling so much of this precious material that was coming out of the gold rush, um, they it made just perfect sense to them to set up a situation where they could, you know, invest and and hold on to people's assets for them and they did such a good job and, uh, you know, did it so quickly that folks were very uh, comfortable with them. And then, you know, like that was sort of one of the early days of folks having money that had been formerly, you know, destitute and they needed to trust somebody and they trusted Wells Fargo. So, um, again, a really good point in this uh, Atlas Obscura article is every new settlement, gold mining colony that was set up, you'd have yourself a saloon and you'd have yourself a Wells Fargo. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe a church too. Who knows? Definitely a Wells Fargo. And earlier, We had walked through the strange and inconvenient Rube Goldberg-esque shipping system that companies like Wells Fargo would use. They would send the steamships down to Panama, the horses over the Isthmus, which was a dangerous uh, and at times deadly trip, and then they would send ships up the Pacific coast. In 1858, They create the first uh, what we described as overland delivery service named in a a burst of creativity, the Overland Mail Company. And this is where Wells Fargo really kind of took that shipping to the next level because they – um, started getting a little bit of assistance from Congress uh, in that a bidding war began to establish much more of a uh, nationwide postal system. And that company, that offshoot, was in the running and won the contract. Mm-hmm. And so the Overland Mail Company and its by now uh, very experienced owners – take a step forward. They're they're still a private company, but now they're very closely working with the government and they are carrying all official mail. We know a little bit about their original contract. They cracked a deal with Uncle Sam and they said, okay, mail is never going to take longer than 25 days. But despite what it said on paper, the reality was much different. You know, there was still a a lot of wilderness in the West. There was still a lot of intervening variables. So you could could trust that Overland and Wells Fargo and, and these kind of outfits would do their best to get the mail to you at some point, but you wouldn't really be able to safely predict it all the time. Eventually, Butterfield 
resigns. And Wells Fargo, as the company, takes over the board of Overland Mail in 1860, and then they buy the company straight out in 1866. And then everything changed when in 1869, the very first transcontinental railroad system came into existence, which was a network um, of various rail lines that were connected um, through some very forward-thinking individuals that uh, started the Central Pacific Railroad Company. Yeah, and so imagine all the machinations of Wells Fargo, of Henry Henry Wells and William Fargo. Imagine it like a very beautifully uh, constructed palace of cards in a windy room because as soon as all these regional railroad systems are connected, this house of shipping cards that Wells Fargo has built just whooshes through the windows. Uh, the owners of Central Pacific in almost a single stroke render everything Wells Fargo has worked on, all, all of its monopolistic infrastructure, outdated, if not obsolete. Right, but uh, they were quick to hop on the uh, the train. Uh, that's mm. that's not even a pun. That's just lazy. No, I, I thought it worked. It's just laziness. It's no, fine. It was funny. And Wells Fargo, um, they they knew what the score was, and the Central Pacific Railroad Company was actually kind of jerking them around a bit, like playing a little bit of like a cat batting around some sort of you know um, hand knitted mouse toy, and mm-hmm. they uh, created an express company themselves, and that is is when um, Wells Fargo purchased that company from Central Pacific so they could get in on shipping their goods through the railroad system, and that's what got them in the door. Yes, yeah. You know what? I, I, I have to be honest here. This is way more fascinating than I thought it would have been uh, when, you know, before I started researching this. What do you think? Well, Ben, first of all, I hope you always feel that you can be honest with me and the listeners, and I think you do. I agree, though. I, I was surprised at how the history of, of shipping and receiving and mail and packages, all things that sound a little dry on the surface, actually pretty fascinating. And there's a lot of adventure. I mean, the Pony Express, who knew? We're not even halfway done with this. Well, we're uh, OK. Officially, we're halfway done with the story. We're going to uh, we're going to conclude and we hope you tune in for our follow up on the weird, weird, weird history of shipping stuff. Uh, in the meantime, you can continue the conversation. We want to hear your shipping war stories or your your strange anecdotes. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter, not just as a show, but as individuals. You can find me exclusively on Instagram at how now Noel Brown, um, where I get into various adventures and misadventures. And, you know, you can see me hanging out and doing cute stuff with my kid and going to concerts and eating delicious foods. And you can join my various uh, global shenanigans, see me get kicked into and out of different places, communities and countries on Instagram at Ben Bolin or on Twitter at Ben Bolin HSW. Thanks, as always, to super producer Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme, Christopher Hasiotis, here in spirit as always. Thanks, of course, to Gabe Luzier. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat. Thanks to, and Noel, I appreciate you. I appreciate you reluctantly co-signing me on this part, but thanks to Jonathan Strickland, aka the Quister, aka Young Quizzles, aka uh Strickapoo. He would hate that one. Mr. Quister. There we go. I like the rhyme there. Sister Sister. 
Twisted Sister? The Twisted Quizster. I like that. Um, yeah, thank, okay, reluctant thanks to, to, to Jonathan Strickland. And absolute wholehearted, um, from the bottom of my heart, thanks to super producer Casey Pegram. Did you already say that? Even if you did, I'm, I'm adding another one because we just love the crap out of that guy. Uh, and thanks to you, Ben. I like your hat today, sir. Thanks so much, Noel. Uh, I got it in the mail, oddly enough. How do you like that? See you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by Discover. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved only for a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everyone feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Uber. Introducing Uber Teen Accounts, an Uber account for your teen with trackable trips and highly rated drivers. Your teen can feel a sense of independence and you, as the parent, can follow their ride on a live tracking map. Yeah, when your teen requests a trip, they're matched with highly rated, experienced drivers and you receive real-time notifications. And, you know, I've actually been using Uber Teen lately to help my teen uh, get to and from various events. The other week, I used it to get them and their friend uh, to and from a concert in Atlanta. And today, they're actually going to use it to get home from a football game. It makes them feel safe, and it lets me know that they're safe. I absolutely love it. And today, you can get 40% off. That's up to $15 off three Uber teen rides. Valid for the first 30 days for new users in select markets. See app for details. Add your teen to your account today. Available in select locations. See app for details.